You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Welcome into a emergency kind of special edition of the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. I am your regular host, Matt Perino, and no Ryan Talbot today. He's still in school right now. We'll probably get his thoughts later on today or maybe on Wednesday. Uh, we have a big show on tap. Uh, I brought in John Scott from Spectrum uh, News. Uh, he's their Bills and sports reporter over there, and we did your show a couple days ago. So I thought, let's not jump. Let's jump in here, talk some JJ Watt. I lost my voice over the weekend in Cooperstown. It was an awesome uh, weekend. We'll talk about that on Wednesday. But John, big news. I mean, we've been talking about this for two weeks. You know, in the NFL community. I mean, we've had guest after guest after guest on. We were talking about it on your show last week. JJ Watt kind of changes things up a little bit. Goes to Arizona, a team that didn't even make the playoffs last year first impressions money must have been more of a driving factor than we initially thought now i did hear some people experts who who claimed that that they were in the know that said money actually was a factor for him and he wanted to get paid not too far removed from what he was expected to make if he would have stayed with the houston texans 31 million dollars two-year deal 23 guaranteed so 15 and a half million is really how it breaks down a year that's higher than I would have been comfortable with the Bills or pretty much any team I, I think should be comfortable paying him that much money. Now we'll see how it actually breaks down with the $23 million of guaranteed money. But he's a good player. But again, in my opinion, at this stage in his career, 31 years old, and while he was healthy last year, has had multiple injuries throughout his career. I just think that paying him towards the top tier of pass rushers at this stage is, is too rich for my blood. I'm totally on board with you there. And I tweeted it out like, you know, after the initial shock of it kind of wore off because, you know, you, you'd kind of heard the last couple of days as he's been uh, kind of sifting through all the potential teams. I mean, he basically heard from the whole league when he first became a free agent. And I think that the quality of player that JJ Watt is, that's the expectation that a lot of people are going to hit him up and just see where his interest levels at. And I think that, 
as you kind of go along this process, when it started, I, I listened, we had Mike Gennetti on the show from spottrack.com last week. And when this all started in the, in the immediate days afterwards, he was talking about the $12 million per season range. And I think that's where I kind of set my expectations at. And I think it's something that if you can get a, a guy like JJ Watt, who obviously brings that potential uh, for that high-end production, I think that's about the money that you want to spend. The higher you go here, I think the higher your expectations have to be of Watt when you get him in the building. And listen, I know that, you know, we were talking about this the last couple of weeks as well, that, you know, maybe his production wasn't where it was two, three years ago this past season, only five sacks, I believe, uh, still was, you know, applying pressure and, and doing a lot, getting double teamed. But if you sign him for $16.5 million and now you have him as your, you know, I think it's their third highest cap hit in 2020, they're spending a lot on their defensive line in Arizona. You're going to need him to come in here and bring the sacks. I think another underlying thing that maybe we didn't look at enough is who he could be paired with opposite on the defensive line. And in Arizona, it's going to be Chandler Jones, who is a premier pass rusher. So those double teams you speak of and all the attention that has always been placed on him, maybe that's not the case. And maybe it was a perfect storm for him because he got the money he was hoping and more than maybe some of these actual contenders. And he actually now also gets some of the pressure taken off of him because he's with another elite guy on the opposite side of things. And that's something that while Jerry Hughes is a fine player, it still would have been a similar situation for JJ Watt in Buffalo, where he would have been the guy that all the offenses and offensive line and protection is shifting towards. So the double teams and all of that, he still would face, he would potentially face similar things in Tennessee as well as in uh, Green Bay as well. That's what made the Browns an interesting choice because they probably could have fit him at that same range if they wanted to price-wise, and he definitely would not have been the focus opposite of Miles Garrett. So maybe that's a, an underlying part of this that I, I maybe didn't emphasize enough was money was an issue. We thought contender was maybe second in line, but maybe in the end it actually was the best fit for him in regards to pairing with another elite pass rusher. Yeah. And you know, you look at the upside of the Cardinals. I think it's a, I mean, I think it's a, a really modern approach from Watt to, to pick the Cardinals. I mean, you take out, like, I know that they didn't make the playoffs last year. I know there's some questions with Kyler Murray and um, Cliff Kingsbury there, but if you look at the trend of the league, I mean, there's a lot of talent at the quarterback position and you you kind of anticipate a second to third year jump in terms of production out of Kyler Murray, very comfortable. And listen, when it came down to things, I think that you, you kind of put your faith in what they got going on offense with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins moving forward. If you add a piece like JJ Watt, if you think he could be what he can be, um, I think that's, you know, you, you start to kind of marry the two sides of the ball and talk about that balanced attack. I, I can kind of understand the thinking there. I know a lot of people, you know, coming out like money means something to them. Of course, I think money means something to all professional athletes. I, you you look at their cap situation though, 10 million um, under about, I think they were at 172 before this deal. They have some, some ability to move some of their own pieces around and maybe restructure some deals or get out, get out of some deals as well. Uh, they have a, a, a few positions that they have to upgrade on. Um, but that's the Arizona Cardinals. It's a Buffalo Bills football podcast. And I want to talk a little bit now about looking ahead. You know, we've been 
diving into free agency over the last couple of weeks. And now we're sitting here on March 1st, two weeks away. And with JJ Watt out of the mix now, where do you kind of turn your attention to? I know you tweeted about Yannick Ngakwe last week and at about 16 million per year, which is what the expectation is for him. Are the bills kind of still in that, in that potential range for, you know, maybe a younger version of, of, of that player, uh, uh, an impact pass rusher? Well, if you go by based on what Brandon Bean said at the end of the year, he made it pretty clear that a big splash type move was not going to be something that we should expect from him this offseason because of their cap restrictions and whatnot. Certainly Watt would have fit into that case, uh, even if it would have been 10, 12 million, which is what I would estimate is likely where the Bills were comfortable going here. So I'm not particularly sure they would dig deep enough and make the necessary moves to bring in a guy like Yannick and Dockway. But that's the feel that I think the direction I feel that they need to go. I feel like we saw them take the money that would have gone towards Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson and distribute it a little wider with Mario Addison, Quinton Jefferson, Vernon Butler. And for whatever reason, it didn't really work. And it didn't make that defensive front any better. Yes, you could point to maybe the unique offseason and how they just never got on track. But the reality is they just weren't a better defensive line than they were the season prior. I think it's not a let's find two, three pieces on a budget. I think you need to find that one elite guy. So I believe they should. Whether or not they'll go 15-16, I don't know if they'll go that high. But I think if you're going to do it, a guy like Way who is still – relatively young at 26 in the prime of his career, I think they'd be, be maybe more apt to do that than maybe chasing a guy similar to Watt if Von Miller becomes available or something like that, Justin Houston, one, an older guy, and trying to get him on a shorter deal. Yeah, I, I do think you really need to try to find a way to add that impact pass rush. And I always think it's so much easier said than done. I mean, these guys don't grow on trees. I mean, you look at some of the teams that have gone out there and taken a swing and it works some of the time. I mean, you go back and the, the bears seem like they were so close and they go out and they make this huge deal with, for uh, Khalil Mack, they give up draft assets, all those kinds of things. And you look at it a couple of years down the road, and obviously the quarterback situation is much different in Chicago than it is in Buffalo. And I think you're much closer to, you know, to a Super Bowl window, if you will. Uh, but you're right. I, I think that I'll be interested to find out as things trickle out over the coming weeks, how close or how in the Bills really were at the end of the day with Watt at, at, at close to 16 million, because I think that that kind of flies in the face of what Brandon Bean said. And, you know, listening to him last week on Chris Collinsworth podcast, I think it reiterated to a, to a degree that, you know, we're going to probably see some, some moving around uh, of some pieces here over the next week or two, but I'm still a little bit um, bearish on the idea that we're going to sit here and see Brandon Bean, you know, move on from all these different players. You know, I know that we, you know, you'll see the list. They go, you know, seven, eight, 10 players deep on all these different like cap um, savings. But I think at the end of the day, they signed a lot of these guys for a reason. And I think, sure, there's, there's reason to move on from Vernon Butler. And if you can't come to a restructure with Mario Addison, there's, there's reason to move on there. Um, but I think a lot of these pieces are still going to be back in the mix next year. And I think, and it's probably the right way to look at it. I think Brandon Bean does take into account, and we heard Leslie Frazier reference this as well, that 
guys getting into their role and getting comfortable and understanding the scheme and system in regards to those new three guys of Addison Jefferson and Butler, it took them time because they didn't have the OTAs on field work. They didn't have the mini camp on field work and even training camp was a little different. Now, you know, whether you think that's a valuable excuse and one that they should really lean on, you know, that remains to be seen, but that's what I think he may also look at and say, well, why would I want to blow this up again and bring in some new pieces and potentially run into a exact same scenario where it's expected the entire offseason program will once again be virtual. And so then a new piece will hit the field for the first time come August or the end of July. So that's it. But again, I don't think I agree. I think, you know, you can look at that trio of Addison Butler and Jefferson. I think one of them gets cut. At least one of them gets restructured. I think it is possible two of them get cut because at the defensive tackle position, you wouldn't be needing to fill two holes because you're getting Starla Tula layback. One name I'm going to throw out there is it's such a polarizing one because, you know, you watch over the course of his career. And while there's been some, some significant production at times, you know, maybe not so much in terms of sacks, but in just his ability to impact the game is Jadavian Clowney coming off that one year in Tennessee where it didn't really click. He was fine when he was healthy, but it obviously got hurt. Um, I think that he makes a lot of sense in the sense that I don't think that there's going to be the same kind of market for him. I think you could probably get him at a much more affordable rate. You're probably still going to be sneaking up on double figures, but you can fit that back into things. You can, you can fit that back in, I think, into your salary cap situation a lot easier. I see in the comments, and this is something that we talked about in your show the other day, Carl Lawson and Romeo Aquara, those guys that are in that Shaq Lawson mold where they're coming off of a pretty good season. Um, they're they're going to kind of command around that 10 million per season. You're going to probably have to, you know, ink them to a three, four year deal. And I'm not so sure that those are the pieces that are going to come in and make that immediate impact on your defense. Sure. Jadavian Clowney may not come in here and post 15, 20 sacks, but I think what he offers as a run defender, a, a guy that has that premium ability to set the edge and what Sean McDermott wants to do in the middle of this, he, he is a all pro caliber player that I think that in the right scheme, in the right fit and what they'd be asking him to do. I think he has the potential to, to come in here at an affordable rate and make an immediate impact. And I think any of these guys with maybe the exception of someone like in or maybe Lawson, you're looking at a short term deal. I mean, a lot of these guys are 30 or older and things like that. And that may fit into that window economically where the bills could afford to go to the double digits. Here's my thing with Lawson. And I know he's a hot name. If it's not like, all of us fans and media people know things that NFL guys don't. So if he was such a great player and such this sleeper type pickup that it seems he's being pegged as, at least from a Bills fan's perspective, one, the Bengals probably wouldn't let him go. And two, I think it's not going to be something, oh, you know, we can just get him for $8 million and he's going to be a great player. Um, you know, there's, I'm not saying he's not going to be. But if so many so many people in the fan base think it, I, I'm pretty sure that the NFL front offices have done their due diligence. And if they think that a guy who, while the sack numbers haven't been there, has gotten good pressure readings and analytics and what and things like that, I think he's going to maybe take more money than you expect. Similar to how 
Adam Humphreys a few years ago before they signed Cole Beasley. That was a hot name Bills fans wanted, and he had a good year. People thought that he would be cheap, and he got so much money from Tennessee, and thankfully the Bills didn't go that route and went Cole Beasley. Uh, but maybe I think you may have to look for someone on the bargain side of things uh, a little bit lower than Carl Lawson, but Clowney would be good. I, I mean, I just think they need a difference maker. They need a difference maker on the edge. They don't have one. And I want a difference maker that's not getting pressures. I want a difference maker I know can get you sacks. Mario Addison had the track record, and for whatever reason, it just didn't work out, which is five sacks in his year. And listen, I know he's not getting any younger. And you know the the your point, the the pressure rate uh, has been one area where Jerry Hughes has just absolutely shined you know, over the last couple of years as those sack numbers have been down and he'll be 33 in 2021. Um, he'll turn 33 on August 13th. And so you really start to have some reservations about leaning on a 33 year old to be your kind of bread and butter pass rusher. Uh, I wonder how much in the mix is a, a, a salary restructure for Jerry Hughes. I know he's in the final year of his deal, but if you want him in the mix to be that you know, veteran presence, which he kind of ascended into being this past season. I think to a lot of people's surprise, maybe Jerry's too. Like, I don't think he went into that year expecting himself to kind of elevate into that leadership role because he saw what Zoe did. He saw what Kyle Williams did. And I don't think he ever really saw himself as that, but he found his own way. And I think that was a big, you know, a, a nice piece to that Bill's defense over the course of the season. But I wonder if you get a guy like Jadavian Clowney in here, who's got something to prove who it hasn't always worked out for him the last couple of years. I mean, you go back, was it Seattle two years ago where he signed the one-year deal and then Tennessee? I mean, he just hasn't looked like the guy that, you know, I think fans wanted to see. But I wonder if you pair him with a Jerry Hughes, I wonder what that does for Hughes because all the I, – I don't think Mario Addison ever took any of the attention off Jerry Hughes. And I think a Jadavian Clowney immediately does that. The last person to take – the pressure off of Jerry Hughes was Mario Williams before Mario Williams kind of uh, packed it in there. And Jerry had his best season, I believe it was 14 or 15 when all those guys up front basically had uh, almost 10 sacks with Darius Williams, Kyle Williams, all three of those guys made the pro bowl and Jerry was left out with over 10 sacks there. Yeah, I think it would be good. And I think in general, they just, yeah, they clearly need to get younger on the edge because if they even stick with Addison and Hughes, I mean, those guys, as you said, are pushing their mid-30s here. And at this point, uh, the numbers are are fine for pressures, but not as the primary pass rushers on your defensive line. So they need to get younger. I think Clowney would be fine. and But that's also why, and I don't, again, I don't think Yannick Ndokwe is some world beater, like can't miss type of guy, but I mean, they need to get younger, and I, I don't think just signing maybe older guys, even though they're in this Super Bowl window here, to two-year deals or one-year deals, prove-it deals, is necessarily the long-term solution here because uh, you're going to have to address it beyond just someone like A.J. Epinesa. And I think it comes down to what Brandon also talked about in April, uh, in January about how important April is going to be for this team. And this, you know, you got to hit – in the draft. And I think that in a year like this, where you might be cash strapped in free agency, you really got to hit at a position of need. And it almost flies in the face of what Brandon Bean's motto is. And that is, you know, build through the draft, uh, you know, develop and then re sign. Well, 
you might have to go in and without being able to take best player available. If you know that that edge rusher position is your position that you need to address and you're sitting there at 30 and somebody maybe drops that you know that the talent level is not going to be there when you come around in the second round of pick, that has to be part of the equation. And now I'm ex I'm excited after free agency to talk, you know, really get into the draft with our guys like our uh, you know, our buddy Chris Trapasso and Ryan Wilson from CBS. Hopefully can have him back on and dive into some of these options. But I think that there's a world that you can live in where maybe one of, you know, these pass rushers are there at 30. And I haven't done big time deep diving. Usually I do it right before the combine, which would have been this week or, or last week. Um, so I, I'm not as on top of it from what my initial understanding is. It's not an incredibly top heavy elite edge rusher class like those we've seen of, over the past few years. So while I agree it, it may be a need, I think finding that guy that would fit that need that you say, okay, like this guy can bring an instant impact as an edge rusher. I don't know if that's going to be there, especially at 30. Uh, so I, I think they still will continue to look and there's going to be other spots on the roster just projecting forward that, that they're going to need to address. You're, you're likely going to have to address linebacker, even if it's not to replace Matt Milano. I mean, it may be is AJ Klein, the long-term answer. So you, you could always use more depth there. The defensive line as a whole, even at defensive tackle, uh, Starla Tulele is not getting any younger either. And you saw the difference when he's not there. Safety with Micah Hyde in the final year of his contract, and of course, cornerback. So I, I just I think they're still at a point in their roster construction where they don't need to force it. In my opinion, I think if you're gonna force it, similar to how Brandon Bean wanted to get Stefan Diggs because he knew what he was getting. I think maybe that's where he is with a pass rusher at this point with where the roster is. And he'd rather spend some money and say, I know what I'm getting in this guy off the edge. A lot of people are, um, are bringing up in the chat, um, some potential other options in free agency. And obviously one name is Trey Hendricks Hendrickson. And I think that similarly to Lawson and Aquara that I mentioned earlier, I think he kind of falls in that bucket. I know he had a really good year of production in new Orleans and who knows, maybe he's a guy that, you know, the pro personnel staff gets up on, uh, you know, on some, gets the tape up in the room. They start breaking him down and figure out that he's going to be a perfect fit for what they want to do as a part of this scheme and under Leslie Frazier and, and Eric Washington. And maybe that's the case. And maybe you're willing to spend, uh, you know, 11, $12 million a year on a player like that and maybe move in a different direction. I also see um, somebody mentioning um, what happened to Mario Addison. And I think it's important to realize that like, it's hard to play in this league at 33 years old. I mean, he's going to be 34 next year. And I know that the, the, the sack production was there, uh, but I think that you break it down and you, you just wonder if maybe, you know, the, there's two twofold. Number one, a new a new place after how many seasons? I think nine seasons in Carolina. A, a new place. B, the fact that he's just getting a little bit older. And I think that the it never felt as if this defensive line without a true one technique and with all these new pieces, especially one of the most important additions is a rookie second round draft pick who was supposed to be a first rounder, whose stock slid in the draft, who came in here after changing his body and really just was a fish out of water for the first eight to nine weeks of the season. This, in a lot of ways, it feels like this defensive line was set up to fail. And I know you don't want to hear that as a Bills fan because you kind of want to reset at a few of these spots. 
But I think that there really is belief that if they get a full off season with all of these pieces in place, this defensive line could look different next year. And then maybe you start to shift your focus to maybe we can upgrade cornerback too. Maybe there's a, a guy that we find in free agency that we think can be an immediate upgrade at CB2 and take some of the pressure off of our front when it's not getting the kind of, you know, consistent pressure that maybe a, a JJ water high end free agent might bring you. Right. I, I agree. I don't think wholesale changes need to be done on the defensive line. I think it's reasonable to expect improvements and more contributions from AJ Epines. As you said, they asked him to drop weight. He dropped more than they wanted to. So he was kind of swimming upstream there to not only add more weight to not be too thin, but also learn the scheme and whatnot. But by dropping the weight, he he's kind of answering the bell of those who were concerned about his speed, which is why I dropped him the second round. I think it's also reasonable to expect Harrison Phillips to be better. Now two years removed from ACL surgery, you get back Star Latulale, and I think his presence will help at Oliver hopefully take that step forward that it has, people were it, it has to help at Oliver. Right. And because, if it doesn't, then that's a different conversation. Um right. so I think just those Pete and then Justin Zimmer, I think, could be a nice rotational guy. I think he earned that as well. So I, I think you just see there with the base. I, I think if they don't make wholesale changes, I think again, if you take that trio of Addison, Jefferson, Butler, one of them goes, one of them restructures, and you free up that money, I think you just to me, I'll just keep going back to it. I think if you just add one, I know what this guy's gonna do, edge rusher. I think that would be enough difference to not make them like a top five sack unit again, but for them to disrupt the quarterback, something I just don't think they were able to do without blitzing. Uh, and that's what Leslie Frazier had to go against what he traditionally does and Sean McDermott. And they became a blitz heavy team the back half of the year. Um, this has been great. We want to give uh, uh, you guys a quick uh, reaction podcast because JJ Watt or JJ watch, if you will, has been, uh, taken over Bill's Mafia social media the last couple of weeks. So we want to give you some thoughts and maybe where things can go from here. We'll be back on Wednesday. But before we get out of here, um, at John Scott TV, find him on Twitter. Great follow. Uh, coming in pinch hitting for Ryan Talbot uh, on short notice, my man. Thank you. Let everybody know where they can find your work. You put out a lot of stuff this morning. So why don't you give yourself a little shout out here on the show? Yeah, yeah. Uh, at John Scott TV on Twitter. It's also how you can find me with my professional Facebook page, which I throw some things up on there. Uh, every Thursday, Kevin Carroll and I do our Facebook Live uh, with Bill's talk. That's all we're talking about. Matt was on there last week. I threw that out there earlier this morning uh, as we talked free agency as a whole. Uh, and this week, uh, you know, off the coattails of you, we're, we're bringing Mr. Spot Track on himself uh, to yes. set the table uh, because I figure if I reference all of his work all the time when discussing uh, free agent <laughs> numbers and all of that, uh, I might as well get him in there uh, as well to, uh, you know, throw questions his way in regards to the cap and, and looking down the line. I think that's something that really interests me in regards to the cap is the reported TV deal that was struck over the weekend. How could that maybe affect things this year and even more so next year as we discussed Josh Allen extensions, short-term deals for, for guys and, and all the money crunching now that the Bills have to do. So uh, that'll be Thursday night at 6.30 on our Spectrum News Facebook page. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm diving into everything a little bit now uh, as the Bills aren't 24-7. They're, they're, you know, they maybe are five days a week instead of seven. 
That's awesome. Uh, definitely check that out, Bills fans, because uh, Mike is great. That'll be a great interview as he continues to, you know, give great um, uh, details on what's going on with, you know, with the Bills cap and the situation moving forward. I'm just looking here and uh, Chandler Jones uh, tweeted his DM uh, from two weeks ago to JJ Watt. He said, if you come to Arizona, I'll be your personal chef. Monday and Wednesdays are free. <laughs> so obviously some some fun recruiting there uh, from Chandler Jones, and that's that's a fun little little combo. I, I think there's a lot of things that go into it. Obviously, former Bills uh, defensive tackle um, Jordan Phillips is out there. They're spending a lot of money on that defensive line, so it'll be interesting to see what uh, yeah 23 million guaranteed. Uh, Cam Cam points out. We will be back Wednesday. Hopefully, my voice will be back to 100. percent We will talk some uh, all things Bills with the Rochester. All, it's the Rochester Bills beat All-Star game. Check out this lineup. We have uh, Carly and uh, Alexa. They're going to open up the show at 7 o'clock. Uh, then we're going to have Sal Mayorana, one of yes. the longest tenured <laughs> Buffalo Bills beat reporter on the beat of, of any city. Um, he'll be fun. He'll be, he'll be great. We'll then have uh, Danger and Battaglia from um, ESPN Rochester. And they kind of springboarded this whole idea. Then we'll have Buffalo Plus podcast with um, all all of Wham. I think it's uh, Jenna Cottrell, Mike Catalana, and Dan Fates. Then we're closing out the show with uh, Thad Brown. That should be fun as well. I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be fun. I love all those guys. I, I think that's a that's a great crop that you got there. And uh, you know, putting Thad at the end is is definitely where he he should be. <laughs> well. Stick around for the end because that's, I feel like that's, we're going to kind of like ebb and throw, flow through the marathon, a lot of energy. And then Thad's going to come in with the fire hot takes at the end and be riled up. So <laughs> yes. it's going to be great. Yes, exactly. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. No problem. Take care, everyone.